0: I want to begin by just saying how good it is to be back in warm, sunny Southern California. Many of you know that this week I was up in Minnesota. My mother passed away about 10 days ago and we had the memorial service in Graveside there and we arrived in Minneapolis. The next morning we awoke and it was about 10 degrees below zero. But thankfully they had a heat wave and it got up to 35, So, uh, but it's great to be back in your midst. It's one of those experiences going home for those kind of events where you experience both ends of the emotional spectrum in new colors, and uh, both the sadness on the one hand and great joy on the other. It was a delight to reconnect with family, extended family friendships that have spanned the years, but also a sad time to finally say goodbye to our mother. What we have in our text this morning is one of those experiences in life that, that exceeds our normal range of emotions. It was both more awesome for the disciples and more frightening than what they normally experience, this transfiguration. So I invite you to listen as we once again hear the words of the Gospel of Matthew about this story of the transfiguration of our Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice, and it said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground. They were overcome by fear, but Jesus came and touched them, and saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. And so, God, we have come to hear your word. And we pray, as your followers long ago were transformed by that transfiguration, that you would transform us. Speak to us now, we pray. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank God for mountaintop experiences. Occasionally we get these opportunities in life to just catch a glimpse of the future from some vantage point that we don't normally occupy. All of a sudden the contours of life, the landscape becomes more apparent as we seem to get a little higher on the mountain and gain a little more elevation in life. I can remember as a young man climbing Granite Peak, which is the highest peak in the state of Montana. For several years, I led backpacking trips in Montana in both the Spanish Peak Mountain Range and in the Beartooth Mountains. And you get to a peak like that, and you feel as if you're on top of the world, because every direction you look, there's other mountain peaks below you. There's mountain ranges and rivers and valleys everywhere below you. Fascinating. It's awesome. Thank God for mountaintop experiences. In life, they come in a variety of forms. Yesterday was, I understand, opening day for the baseball season, the Little League season here in San Marino. For our kids, that's a great Mountaintop experience, the first day of school, a family baptism, as we'll have here in our classic service this morning, or making the team, or receiving a letter of admission to a school or the college of your choice, graduation, your first job, a promotion, a wedding, the birth of a child, all of those can be remarkable mountaintop experiences where there's a convergence of things in your life and you feel it comes together in a way you've never seen before. Prayers are answered. It's a day of celebration and new beginning. Harry Gage dropped me an email over the weekend that alert me to an article that was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, so I read it. It was in the opinion section. It was an article about the 1980 miracle on ice when the USA men's hockey team beat the Soviet Union hockey team to win the gold medal. It was 40 years ago yesterday. One player on the team was a friend of mine, a kid that was in my youth group when he was in high school, Mike Ramsey. And the coach of that team, Herb Brooks, had previously been the coach of the University of Minnesota hockey team. And we had a mutual acquaintance, and on one occasion I found myself in a hospital room sitting with Herb Brooks on the opposite side of the bed with our mutual friend, It was a memorable experience, I'm sure, more for me than for him. But not only was that gold medal win in 1980, a mountaintop experience for those kids on that team, it was a mountaintop experience for the entire country, according to the article yesterday. These children, really, I think my good friend was 20 years old at the time, upset this five-time champion team from the Soviet Union through sheer grit and determination and remarkable physical conditioning. But according to the article, it marked a transition in the malaise of the United States between the 1970s and the optimism of the 1980s. Our text today tells about this joyful mountaintop experience for the followers of Christ where all of a sudden all that is sacred became mysteriously real and tangible. For a brief moment, they saw things clearly. Despite that fact, the bumbling disciples, they didn't quite know what to do or say. Peter starts spouting something off about building these tabernacles until he's finally silenced from this voice from heaven that says, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. So they head down from that mountaintop experience and they get back into the challenges of life and ministry in the valley below with the instructions not to say anything else about that vision until after his death and resurrection. So here's Peter, James, and John trying to describe the indescribable, a transforming moment in their lives when Jesus was transfigured right before their very eyes. This window behind me as a depiction, an artist's rendering of that transforming moment. And our forebearers here in this congregation thought that that story is significant enough to commit this huge window in front of you to that retelling with Christ the King up above, that our vision would be lifted as we come into worship here in this sanctuary. The word transfigured in the Greek is a familiar word to us from our study of biology. It's simply the word metamorphosis. We learn about that in our first year of biology, that insects and plants change form. They go from an embryonic state, immature, to an adult form. In the course of maturing and the story of the transfiguration reminds us there's a changed kind of form a metamorphosis that needs to happen in our understanding of who Jesus is it's essential for faith it's essential for ministry and wherever the word metamorphosis is used in the Bible it's used in the passive even in the story of the transfiguration it's not something we do or can do for ourselves. We can allow it to happen. We can resist it happening. But the initiative comes from God. The disciples are forced to see their Lord in this new light revealed behind this cloud of unknowing. The story reveals what Paul later writes about, that Jesus is the ultimate revelation and representation of God. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus discloses God with a human face. Listen to him, says the voice from heaven. Thank God for mountaintop experiences where we have a chance to see things more clearly, but that, frankly, is not where we live most of the time. We live in the valley below. We get to see life from the summit once in a while, but we're valley dwellers at heart where it's hard to see the forest through the trees. We take a compass heading. We hope we're on the right road, making our way through the forest of life. This week, we begin the journey of Lent with Ash Wednesday, And we remember that the way of Christ is the way of the cross. So life and ministry is not lived on the mountaintops, but in the day-to-day challenge, often slogging through the difficulties of everyday life with our eyes fixed on something above. On the mountain... When we have those great experiences, we're maybe in danger of believing too much. But the converse is also true. In the valley, we're often in danger of believing too little. Some moments only need to happen once, and they change everything. Columbus only had to sail across the Atlantic once, and it opened up the whole new world. Charles Lindbergh only flew across the ocean once and everything changed with regard to flight. The first time the astronaut Neil Armstrong stepped onto the surface of the moon, everything changed in terms of space and planetary exploration. And those moments like that do come in different ways when the future is made sort of present and real. But who could really stand much of those moments? We don't need much more than those moments to change us. Somehow the disciples sensed the glory of God hidden and yet radiating from and around Jesus. It scared them. They didn't know what to say. Of course, that didn't stop Peter from talking. Like so many preachers, he went on talking long after he had anything to say. He blurts out, "Ah, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three booths. Why don't we build something you know, to commemorate the moment for you and Moses and Elijah? In Mark's gospel, the gospel writer kind of covers Peter here, and he says he didn't know what he was talking about. He was so terrified. I can sympathize with Peter. I tell you, there's been a lot of dumb things I've said over the years. And I've said things that didn't come out the way I wanted them to in the pressure of a moment. So I agree with the expression, blessed are they who when they don't know what to say, refrain from saying it. Have you ever asked a child, where's God? you ever had a child ask you that question? That's the kind of question that can stump most parents. What do you say? If you say God is up in heaven, the child immediately asks, well, where's heaven? And if you say God is everywhere, that turns it into kind of an abstraction, like talking about space and time with a child. Every child knows that's no answer. And No child is patient with those kind of abstractions. But when a child asks that question, it really is a question that's haunting many of us. Things happen in life, and you wonder, where is God? If God's so great and so good, why does all this misery happen? This weekend, as we we're driving to the memorial service for my mother. Two of our five grandchildren were with us. Nolan and Madison. Nolan is five and Madison is three, and they had lots of questions about where great-grandma is now. Where's heaven, Nolan asked. This is the great thing about being a grandparent. You don't have to answer those questions, right? So our daughter, Molly, said now that's a very good question Nolan (laughs) and there are some questions you just can't answer any better than that once in their lives these followers of Jesus saw the glory of God loose and around Jesus and in a flash they knew what that meant for the world They suddenly knew God is not somewhere else in heaven. This is the theater of God's redemptive activity in the world. God is loose in the world where all hell is breaking loose. And they trembled to try and get a hold of what that meant. And that insight only lasted for a moment. It was a glimpse into the future, and it was a future that had not yet come. And then the clouds moved in, and they had to go back down into the valley where there were sick to heal and disputes among the followers to settle and lots of work to be done. Peter wanted to fix that moment in concrete, but he couldn't. And neither can we. Glimpses like that come and go in our lives. God once in a while sort of pulls back the curtain between today and eternity, and for just a moment we get a chance to see it, to glimpse it on some mountaintop maybe, or here in a pew on a Sunday in worship. When, whenever, wherever you have that glimpse enjoy it but you can't hang on to it don't try to capture it or commemorate it it comes merely as a gift a glimpse, a fleeting, a blessed gift of revelation don't forget those moments but don't freeze them either I don't know about you, but life for me is a little bit like coming to church and getting surprised and uplifted in some inspiring moment. Maybe it's when this choir is singing some remarkable anthem. Maybe it's something that's said from the pulpit. And for a moment, you feel lifted and lighter than air. And then you go out to the parking lot and your battery's dead. Life in the valley just doesn't seem to go away. Still, I find I can go back to work on Monday just a little different by what happens here. Because for one brief, shining moment, I've seen something. The curtain between the present and the future just gets pulled back just a little bit, and we know that future that's coming as if it were now. This is my son. Listen to him. And I think I see what shook him up so much. Fear of the Lord is one way of saying that I suddenly see that I live in this moral universe that simply will not tolerate some things because of God. A society that puts its own glory above its goodness begins to unravel because God's in this world. A church that simply affirms the values of the surrounding culture in which it lives is on its way to oblivion because God is in this world. A life that loses confidence in the highest ideals can destroy itself by the lowest level we come to expect because God is in this world. not that God is mean or vindictive, but God is just too good to let people do whatever they think they want to do. This is my son. Listen to him. So the question is, will I listen to him when life begins to close in on me and I'm in some dark moment of eclipse And everything shouts despair around me. Will I listen for the voice of that one who was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief? And will I listen when I feel on top of the world? Everything is going great in life when I have things under control. Will I listen then? I think that seems to be the question that hangs in the air from this text. This is my son. You've caught a glimpse of his glory. Now will you listen to him? Thanks be to God. Amen.